over the line! Hello, you're listening to Over Under Movies, the podcast where we choose one overrated movie and one underrated movie, similar in tone, style, or genre, and we discuss them. I'm Ryan Oliver. This is Oktay Ege Kozak. And unfortunately, Eric McClanahan won't be joining us tonight. He's he's pretty busy lately with the Portland International Film Festival coming up, uh, something you and I, Oktay, have both done, so we know how, how crazy that can get. Um, but yeah, that stuff can get crazy. For sure. But we are, uh, instead of doing uh, one versus one movie, uh, this is our year-end uh extravaganza i guess if you will um so for those of you who uh have just joined us uh via the playlist.net uh since we've joined there at the end of the year we each pick five overrated movies and five underrated movies uh, for the film year and uh and we hash that out um so we're going to start with the overrated movies but before we dive into that um how, how did you feel overall uh for this year of uh, 2016 in in movies in movies, at least, yeah, it was it was a pretty good year. Let's not get into anything else. Uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but as far as movies are concerned, I think it was a pretty strong year. And what I really liked about this year was that there was a lot of diversity. Like you could you could find like a great film, pretty much in uh, every genre and every style that you could you could think of. So whatever your bag is, whatever you're into. Uh, there was like I feel like there was something that every everybody could like. St- uh, really get into and that was really great like even you know usually every year there's like for example an overhyped like kind of horror movie that i'm not like really into but this year we had we had the witch which i loved uh you know that's just like that's just one example that i feel like um there was like the synergy there was that there was this diversity which um which which was great and uh yeah i thought it was it was such a good year that it would for for a while i had some problems coming up with my overrated picks and because i was just like yeah i don't you know i don't really you know there were a couple of movies in there when i was first doing my list that that felt like this you know this i could do without this being on my list it's fine like i can just come up with a couple of complaints and then like i feel like at the last minute i saw um couple of movies on on screener uh recently that you know that really enabled me unfortunately to create a uh a more potent list that's understandable (laughs) i I think for me this year like my overrateds are like for the most part like there are movies that i don't like but uh overall i mean it it, you're right there was a lot of like great movies it was difficult to make my top 10 this year and uh, and even like i don't usually do a bottom 10 but like I only maybe saw 10 movies that I thought were like truly terrible. So I would have like just barely seen enough to, you know, compile that sort of list. So that that's to me is how hard it is to make your top 10 list is a good barometer to decide how a year was. And it was very difficult this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that happened with, um, my top 10 list and also my underrated list that we're going to get into um, yeah. next week that, that I had a much tougher time. Like I had so many contenders for the underrated. It feels like uh, we'll get into this next week, but it feels like last year was, I mean, this year, you know, we're in January now, but whatever we're talking about 2016 was like the year of the underrated movie. So many great films just like went under the radar that it was like hard to put together that, that list. So that was, um, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good problem to have. All right, so passing it off to you, Octay. What what is your number five overrated movie of the year? 
Uh, well, my, my number five, uh, unfortunately, is uh, La La Land. I got a call back. What? Come on. <laughs> For what? For a TV show. The one that I was telling you about earlier. The Dangerous Minds meets the OC? Yeah. Congratulations. It's That's really incredible. Exciting. I feel like I said negative stuff about it before. What? It's like Rebel Without a Cause, sort of. Uh, and you know, I know that like when I when I first like thought of this as an overrated, when I first uh, got out of it, I feel like there was a lot of uh, just a lot of love for La La Land uh, when I first went to see it at the at the press screening, and I felt like I would be kind of really alone in kind of uh, the issues that I have with the film. But it feels like, especially now that it's sweeping up all these awards, there is this like La La Land uh, backlash that's been happening recently and um it feels like i'm i'm kind of sort of in the middle of that that whole argument because i, I there are a lot of things in that the backlash that i don't agree with as well like with the um with the way that people complain about the whitewashing and how like annoying the characters were and all that stuff and i think there's a lot of stuff that people like really get into and really complain about when it's uh, when a film like this becomes so popular and um and we're we're about to see a lot more of that when it, you know, more than likely when it will win um, uh, Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, but yeah, this is, you know, La La Land is uh, so high on my list, uh, basically because there there's, it, this is kind of like the most schizophrenic uh, film going experience I've had all year. Uh, there are there's there, there are sequences in this film, there's stuff in this film that I have completely uh, head over heels falling in love with. Uh, and there are, there's stuff in this film that, you know, makes me want to like tear my hair out in, in frustration. Uh, and in, in, um, in short, how I, the way I can summarize it is that basically this is some of the best and most invigorating, um, fun uh technical stuff like the uh the way it looks the way the musical numbers work the way the dance is choreographed how gorgeous every single one of those musical numbers look and um how enthralled i was by the first five minutes of this film that that amazing um highway uh dance sequence um oh yeah the way that it, the way that it was executed how how full of life some of the stuff in this film are and all of this amazing technical stuff is kind of i felt like was built on um the the laziest hackiest uh easiest kind of um old school melodrama uh that we've seen that at, at least i've seen a thousand times before um about the idealistic uh two idealistic young people artists coming together and then you have this kind of like a star is born type situation where like one of them makes it big and the other one feels jealous and then the other one might make it big and there's like all the stuff that comes in between them and I, I felt like the script was so by the numbers it was so predictable and everything that happened to it was um was basically like you could you could tell exactly where the story was gonna go and I feel like that would have been fine if this was handled. You know, there are lots of amazing musicals, uh, especially the musicals that Damien Chazelle is um, referencing the, that that he's trying to like kind of copy. Uh, a lot of those musicals they don't really have very strong scripts either, but at least they know like you know 
what's the what's the amazing story structure of an American in Paris, for example? There's like there's really not that much there. Or uh, Singing in the Rain really has a story that you could you know you could tell without the musical numbers in like twenty minutes. But, but those least... movies do commit to their musicalness, exactly. and I think that's probably where yes. you're coming in. So, I could definitely see that because so, the so second that, act of this movie just yeah. kind of does so that, forget that's, that it's musical. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly where I'm going, is that there's a weird pacing problem here. There's a good hour chunk um, in the middle of this film. Uh, I would say like the second half of the second act and a good chunk of the third act until it kind of redeems itself uh, with that with that Amazing really sweet, finale. beautiful ending. It's a little derivative of Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I have to say. But, you know, it was, it was still it still works. It's still sweet. Uh, I wasn't really invested in the characters at that point because of my frustrations with like how flat the writing was. Um, but I could also see how that ending could really get to people if you were really into the characters. So, so I'm not gonna like really put that down. But um, but yeah, that was like that was my major issue with it is that not only is there that chunk where like you don't get any of the show-stopping amazing musical numbers. But also, it's just like kind of covered in this, you know, this, the second inspiration for this film is like the old uh, 50s melodramas by, by, you know, directors like Nicholas Ray uh, and like Douglas Sirk and all that. And, um, you know, the whole theme of the film, like the tongue-in-cheek meta jokes about nostalgia, which I didn't enjoy either, but whatever, uh, that, that, it's, it's, that it, get, it gets inspiration from those two classic Hollywood uh genres and archetypes and uh i think he pulled the old the stanley donnan style like gene kelly uh musical part of it he pulled it off so well but when it came to like aping something like um you know rebel without a cause or like the the kind of um that kind of melodrama i think it was it was just really stale and he couldn't you know i think he had he had too much confidence in that side of the story um to to let it just run on for like an hour without any musical breaks, I think that was kind of a um, kind of a letdown for me. But this is yeah, this is pretty high on my list basically because there's so much like beautiful, great stuff in this. But you know, uh, that's the point of why we do this show is that we don't really necessarily talk about films that we think are good or bad, but films that mm-hmm. we think are uh, overrated. And I feel like the the undulating love for this film, um, you know, kind of blocks people from seeing. I think some of its problems. Oh, I would agree with that. And I think like the, you know, the script is the weakest part of the movie and it does baffle me that it keeps, you know, popping up uh, at all these awards, especially the SAG awards that this movie has been nominated for screenplay that kind of threw me for a loop. But I, I do think the power of the filmmaking and, you know, you say those in jokes about nostalgia. I actually think the, the infusing or making this movie about like questioning nostalgia uh, it's kind of what gave me a through line into the movie because I, I thought it would just be this sort of like kitschy throwback, which it is that. But it, it gave me a little bit more uh, than I expected on that front. And I, I think just viewing the movie as a as a what feels like a true event movie, you know, like so many blockbuster tentpoles are billed as being an event movie. But most of them mm-hmm. are just kind of flat and unexciting. And this this actually felt like. Like, I don't think I would ever purchase a movie and watch it at home. It wouldn't have the same effect. But seeing it on the big screen was like this. It just felt like an event. And so uh, I totally see where you're coming from. I don't think this is a perfect movie by uh, any stretch of the word. But 
um, I certainly enjoyed uh, myself watching it. It's it's definitely worth seeing in the theater, though. I mean, uh, yes. I think what you said about watching it on home video is, but yeah, it's. I feel like watching it on a smaller screen will definitely like bring out the, the the some of the faults in the film. So it's it's definitely it's one that I would say is overrated. But if you can still find it playing somewhere, and if you just want to just let go and maybe not like not be like a um, nitpicky bastard like me, um, I feel like you know. It's it's not it's not something that I would say like people shouldn't do, but it's definitely no, sure. something that you should probably hurry up and see it in the theater because seeing it, my guess is that seeing it on the smaller screen, yeah, it, it will it will make those um, some of the annoying faults like even glare more. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if this movie success is any indication, it's probably going to have a very long theatrical run here throughout award season. Yeah, uh, and that's 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 people. a good thing. That's one of the good things about <laughs> it. I don't think it deserves like all the. All the accolades it gets, uh, and I would be very, very mad if it gets nominated for best screenplay. Um, I would but, agree. Yeah, but apart from that, yeah, it's it's that's that's a good thing actually. Like I, you know, even though I don't I don't agree with like all the uh, praise that it's getting. But uh, yep. do you wanna do you wanna let's let's do you wanna move on to your number five? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my number five is Captain America: Civil War, and I I don't want to make this a, a habit too much of like picking the like highest grossing uh, movie worldwide of the year. Like, like all of us had Jurassic world last year on our list. Mm -hmm. Um, Though that movie, Rightfully we all so. agreed, was true. Yeah, that movie was truly terrible, and this this movie isn't. But it it just this movie just sort of solidified my opinion on on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's just like I I just I just don't care about these movies uh, anymore. And I think mm. it, it it really hit a peak with me on this one because it is for the most part a well made movie i think the action is by and large pretty damn clunky um but mm. i i think that it's pretty most of the characters have at least solid arcs but i feel like the last 10 minutes of this movie just really really uh, just drove that point home where i'm like oh so there were stakes but everything's gonna be okay well, for my, these my characters. issue with the, with the <laughs> ending was that it was very predictable like you could like they, yeah. they, they treat the twist uh like as if it's it's going to be like this major surprise and you you know what's you know the 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 whole setup about like at the beginning the of about like how his parents died and blah blah like the the way, the way that they foreshadow it is just so obvious and it it is but I would have liked if some stuff hung in the balance you know after that fight between uh, hmm. Steve and Tony, like, like they, like, I thought they were going to leave it in the back, like some stuff hanging in the balance. It, it, it should have been a true, uh, Empire Strikes Back ending where it's, it, it should have been. been more glum. But I then there's a letter at the end that's like, oh, everything's hmm. basically going to be okay. And I'm just like, ah, you know, it's just, it just, the movie feels so vanilla to me. I, and I, I feel like, you know, people are praising it over you know they praise it over Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, but like say what you will about they, pra Zack they praise it over they praise it over Winter Soldier, which I think is really unfair because I think Winter Soldier is kind of great. I I think it's a much better movie than this one and a more contained movie. This mm -hmm. one just oh yeah, contained again, is, just, is a is a key word. Yeah, yes, it just it just feels like it's setting up more chess pieces and mm -hmm. like say what you will about Zack Snyder, like he is a true like like visual artist. Like there are, are like actual like compositions in yeah, Batman ca cash versus in Superman. Yeah, cashing that check from DC, man. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, hey, yeah, definitely. Uh, no, 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 is, no, I know what you mean. Marvel? Does, who, who's paying who? I don't know. I get yeah. lost in the, you're, you're the, you're that rare, cr rare critic who like shits on Marvel 
by getting paid for by DC instead of the other way around? Because that's the, isn't that like the ongoing conspiracy theory that all the critics are getting paid by Marvel to shit on um, uh, I Batman v Superman? I think so, but I, I don't know. It, like to me, I guess both movies ultimately kind of bored me. But like Batman vs mm. Superman, at least left me with some things to think about in terms of like reflecting on our like current state, our current society. And mm. this this movie was just like, yeah, it was fine, it was fun in the moment. But I I started rewatching it on Netflix the other day, and I was just like, oh man, this is really not. Uh, this is just just so bland to me. And I and I wish I had a better critique for it than that. Mm. But it just. I don't know. I think no, I, I think uh, all the praise with people saying it's it's like oh it's the best Marvel movie, mm-hmm. and I'm just like it's it's fine. Like most of them, yeah. it's just it's just fine. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying, and I feel like there's a great movie hiding between uh, Batman v Superman and uh, Captain America: Civil War. I think I think Batman v Superman definitely has that vision. It has the gravitas, um, and I. Feel but it also like... has like some utter stupidity to oh yeah, yeah. of course this one yeah it, it like... does it's, it's it's a complete shit show as far as like story structuring and <laughs> uh you know pretty much a lot of the stuff goes and you know it's but also at the other end like i feel like uh civil war has you know you might not agree with that you know with the action sequences and everything and i think i think the 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 one that everybody went apeshit over the the, the airport airport sequence that's it all was, anyone I, ever talks about with this guy. Long movie. doesn't always mean long and overdrawn doesn't always mean good. No, I think that and was my like, like it because it's fun. They're like, oh, it was so fun. I was like, yeah, but what was at stake? Like, tell me yeah. what was at stake in that scene. Like, yeah, yeah it was yeah, yeah. enjoyable I mean, it was, to it see. It was like it was like smashing a bunch of your uh, action like uh, toys together, like uh, action figures together. That's what it kind of felt like to me same like yeah it's amusing to see paul rudd grow to giant size and like laugh and all that sure that that's fine it's fun but like again i just these movies have just left me so like left me with nothing that i but, i've but, pretty but much I, got, I gotta say like the, the the one that should get the praise is the chase scene towards the beginning i thought that was great the way that it begins like kind of small scale in Bucky's apartment and then just like explodes out onto the streets and yes I would agree that is I think the, I think, the, I think that was the, the better scene. better uh set piece and I I also think as much as not that much happens um and the the twist is predictable I like the 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 intense fight between the three characters uh at yeah. the end and I, I like that how that how that leads in and another thing that I like about it is that you know Marvel always has problems with um having very bland villains and uh even though he wasn't really that interesting or didn't really have that much screen time as a as a villain i i like the idea of like a of like a just just a whatever regular everyday guy who just kind of uses his his intelligence to um fuck with these uh superheroes because he feels like he's been you know just completely his life has been destroyed because of them and like I just I just like that attitude. It's just you know Daniel Bruhl is just he's just basically playing some guy. He has no like real. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a weird costume. He doesn't have any kind of like he's a dude. <laughs> like, I agree, I just but, like but all that stuff. Wouldn't it have been so great again if if he essentially you know would have won in the end again if they would have left that stuff hanging in the balance then he truly would have won mm-hmm. as as a villain and it would have made that arc so much more. Um, so much more interesting, I guess, than than what we we got, and and I think they just uh, they squandered a lot of interesting stuff 
to play it very safe to keep their franchise well, going. I want, and I and I get yeah. it, but it just it, it, I don't know. It just it's they they opted out from making the best possible movie. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, did, I, I did have a good time with it, and like you said, these films are fine. Like, the, like yeah, a lot of fine. them. Like, it's not a like bad there, movie. There, there are those that I feel like I think I think the first Iron Man is great. I think Guardians of the Galaxy is great. The whole like praise over it being like the best comic book movie ever, or whatever. That's just all. Yeah, bullshit. way way too much hyperbole. So yeah, yeah. what's uh, what's your number four? So uh, my number four is the Jungle Book, uh, which is actually going to. Uh, kind of go hand in hand with one of my underrated picks but uh, i don't don't want to reveal that uh uh, right now so i'll just i'll just basically say that i feel like this i feel like the the live action version of the jungle book was uh a fun and uh good looking take on the disney classic and they did find a way to uh kind of go around the inherent episodic structure of the the animated version uh, but like I just really didn't get the the intense. Uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say intense, but like this this film got I feel like a lot of uh, pass as far as like a, a like kind of a modern family classic or something like that. And I felt like uh, apart from like the uh, the groundbreaking CGI, the the animals and everything else looked great. I mean, this is basically people call it a live action remake of an animated. Disney movie, but it's an animated film with a live action kid in it. You know, let's not kid ourselves. It's, it's true, but but boy, it looks great. The, the effect, looks, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, what it, they pulled looks, off is pretty pretty spectacular. And I, I like I knew that going into it, but um, I actually really really liked this movie, and oh, yeah. um, I did not expect to um, mainly because I was. But I you, haven't but, seen but you the, love my over uh, my underrated uh, counterpart to it too. <laughs> I, I do love it, and I like it even even more than this movie. But I, I think for me. I I had heard I have not seen the uh, Kenneth Branagh Cinderella movie, but I was told that movie is just basically a remake of the animated movie, like beat mm-hmm. for beat, shot for shot. Has the you know the mice and everything else, and I was like, eh, well, I don't really like the animated Cinderella, so I'm probably not going to bother with this. Um, and I had heard this, but this movie isn't totally shot for shot, and I think that's why I liked this and your underrated movie. Uh, which we'll get to in the next episode is because I feel like they improved upon um, their previous uh, iterations. And I, I, I really, I, I appreciated this movie's uh, attempt to go a little darker. I, I do think that uh, Idris Elba as Shere Khan uh, is like menacing and terrifying, more menacing than he was and in the, Star and, Trek and, Beyond. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and more, more menacing than the animated uh, character too. Like he was truly scary. He did a great yeah, job. And, I agree. Oh, the, the I, overall voice acting in the in the the Jungle Book remake, I thought was was excellent. Like they they picked the same. exact right people to do the voices. I just I don't know. I feel like they did a good job, like honoring the original while like creating a new vision uh, mm. of their own because the original uh, is you know is well beloved and um, I, yeah. I I didn't expect to love this movie, but I totally see like this movie was a. A massive success and 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 maybe hmm. maybe a little bit hyperbolic with the uh you know the praise of it but i i really liked it personally. yeah i mean there, there's a lot of stuff that i really like uh about it and uh we're not really that far off i think when you wrote in your uh when you wrote your letterbox review you gave it a four stars out of five i gave it a three mm-hmm. and a half stars out of five like it's 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 really close and um yeah, I feel like it. It wasn't as I, I feel like this wouldn't really be on my overrated list, or I wouldn't think of it as being overrated if I didn't think 
my my underrated counterpart to this was did such an amazing job of taking mm-hmm. the concept and doing something entirely new and exciting with uh with a remake and i feel like there are so many parts in the jungle book uh uh, live action version that uh, I felt like they really played it safe uh, and one of those is kind of like the callbacks to uh, kids favorite stuff from the animated uh, like the, the King Louis bit the King, yeah the, 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 the songs basically like it didn't really the, the tone of the songs and how they inserted the songs in there uh, you know there's Bears Necessities and I Want to Be Like You and um, you know I, I'm kind of nitpicky about this especially because Jungle, you know, people say like, "Oh, I grew up with this movie or whatever." But Jungle Book really is a film that I grew up with. Like, I, yeah, I've, I've I've seen it like so many times when I was a kid. Like, not as much anymore. But like, I know every inch of the animated version. Like, pretty much every single frame is like just burned into my mind. So it was, um, it was weird to see um, the the darker, grittier look of the film. Definitely didn't invite. I feel like. Uh, the insertion of the musical numbers like when you're uh, cutting to like musical numbers not just music or like the tones from the uh, the songs themselves which I thought would have been fine but like they're you know they're, it just cuts into like full-blown uh, musical territory which wasn't as annoying with the bare necessities because you can be like oh it's just Baloo like singing along but like when you get to um, when you get to Christopher Walken as the, the monkey it's a uh, um, that's the music and it's it's it wasn't the it was cut weirdly like the musical numbers weren't like really long enough to be considered full-fledged musical numbers there's just like a little bit of a taste and right. i feel like they weren't really sure about like how to introduce that in there they weren't really sure about the tone and it was just like it just felt really off and uh that kind of bugged me a little bit but yeah overall it was just like yeah, you know, you guys found a pretty interesting way of taking the animated version like turning it into this like big adventure and i feel like maybe they should have stuck to their guns a little bit more and not not make it about like you know remember the songs and remember this and that from the animated version because they're uh they tell like very similar stories in completely different with with right. a completely different at least technical approach i don't want to say like the the story and stuff like there's a um it basically follows the same the same story makes it a little bit less episodic it's still ep- as episodic as the uh, there are still stuff that's as episodic as the uh the animated mo- version it's a little bit less um because they come up with that um like kind of overall arc uh plot arc for the uh for the film about like ranging you know about the fire and man how man can destroy nature and like maybe uh mowgli shouldn't be trusted and all that stuff like they they really like it's not like a bunch of like vignettes like the the animated version is uh so i I appreciated all that stuff i like this and um but i feel like it's been really blown out of proportion and the fact that my uh my underrated counterpart didn't receive nearly as much love i think makes me a little bit like unfairly bitter maybe i don't know i can understand that because that is a great movie and i'm really excited to talk about that one uh in the next episode like, like, but, yeah uh, yeah and my, my underrated pick when i got it on blu-ray like even the blu-ray cover says like from the studio that brought you to jungle book i'm like fuck you <laughs> right i under- yeah i can understand that but if, hey if it, if it gets more people to oh, yeah, you know definitely. purchase that movie and see that movie hey i'm all for it because both are, are very good one's just oh. really really great but, yeah, so definitely that's my uh, so that that was my number four. And uh, what's your number four, Ryan? Uh, my number four is a bigger splash. Hey, 
happy to see you. Oh, why didn't you let me know you were here? You know I love this place. I'm in Rome all summer. You can talk, can't you? Come on, tell me you're better. Yes, you are. Uh, the latest film from uh, Luca Guadagnino. Guadagnino, I'm fucking up his name. I know it's a Italian who, who, name. Who gives, who gives a fuck? He made an inco- <laughs> inconsequential movie. Ah, man, uh, this movie is... Mm, <laughs> I mean, Ray Fiennes is terrific in this movie. Uh, but, God, I don't know. I just... I, this movie is popping up on a fair amount of top tens. It's getting a lot of love really? uh, for the end of the year. Yeah, it's it's popped up on on quite a bit, quite a bit of critics who I, I greatly admire. And I'm just like, I, did, did we see... This is that ultimate, like, did we see the same movie instance because i i oh, yeah, that I would be mostly, my reaction Definitely. yeah because i was mostly disengaged in this film because i i spent most of the time i know it's like it's a hangout movie of like for the pretty wealthy white people but i'm mm-hmm. like what what uh i i felt i kept looking for like the greater point of the movie as it was going on more than i found myself enjoying the company of these characters even though i don't think we're totally supposed to enjoy the company uh it's 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 very similar to the first time i saw blue jasmine where i was very very frustrated by it even though i thought the acting was still very strong mm-hmm. all the way across the board um and then like well, well my, jasmine, my, my woody be... allen companion to this would be like vicky christina barcelona like a bunch of attractive people uh fucking each other in europe and you know with, with beautiful backdrops right i would agree with that but that sort of statement that the movie tries to make at the end, um, or at least the like harsh reality was it's that trying a to show. Or was it just lazy writing trying to insert like a fake? Uh, I feel like suspense? it's lazy writing. Yes. Uh, well, there's the suspense part too, but I feel like at the very that was terrible. The, by the way, yeah, I don't know where that slipped in, and I apparently this this director's in the talks for doing a remake of Suspiria, which oh, yeah. I'm like, I had. No, uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't want that. Uh, and I, I just didn't quite understand. Uh, like, yeah, it takes that thrillery turn. Yeah, Suspiria uh, needs someone as like... batshit crazy as Dario Argento. This guy is not it. This is far it's away too as too can... arty. Like too arty yeah, to yeah, get into exactly. that. Like Jean dip his toe into that genre territory. You have to get your hands and... dirty to right. take that on. Yeah. And then, like the ultimate message at the end, I feel like the message that the movie is trying to send in a harsh like reality is that like wealthy famous white people can get away with anything which i feel was very very like just struck a chord when i saw it and i like well, I you, kind might, of, you might also be projecting just to pull some kind of value out of you this. might be right i i just <laughs> I, I wasn't again Cause, other cause, than because your brain terrific... brain is trying to protect your your psyche by saying that no you didn't waste two hours on something that was complete emptiness and come up with some kind of reason to like I guess makes sense out of it. I don't know. I, I think you're. I think you're right. I don't know. I, I just. I was looking for something to get onto other than a, a, again. Ray Fiennes is incredibly watchable in this movie. Other than but pretty I just, white people fucking. Yeah, basically. That, uh, I mean, there that there wasn't well, even a lot of that either. Like it's. It was just. Uh, it's just. just, yeah. just kind of bland. Yeah. yeah I. I yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you're on my side with this. Oh one, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't. I wasn't interested in this film at all. Uh, before I saw it on your list. I saw it on your list. Uh, I watched it, and now I'm not interested in it at all still. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, I, it's just I, one I... of those, like, it, it, it belongs in this this kind of subgenre of um, titillating uh, erotic films about Anglo-Saxon people, usually Americans, going to some beautiful locations in Europe and basically, like, going into some intrigue about, like, there's usually, like, two couples and the couples like 
fuck each other and they uh they cheat on each other basically and then like all the issues that come out of that and there's always like some kind of uh throwaway to um uh there's some kind of addition of uh like danger or some there's some kind of intrigue or murder but that's handled in a really bland way and this this hits all of those notes like one by one yeah and, you're, you're right <laughs> you know it's 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 so everything that happens in it is predictable you know exactly which character is going to fuck which character and what how there's going to be like uh like how these infel- infidelities are going to go, go get down like as soon as basically as soon as uh, Ralph Fiennes' character shows up at the airport, and there's like this weird tension between all of them. And mm-hmm. just by their looks, you can tell how exactly where each character is going to end up. And uh, there was nothing in this film that was kind of remotely insightful or interesting or edgy or even titillating. Really, uh, you know, you get you get um, you use uh, someone as attractive as Dakota Johnson in an erotic film and two for two like i still haven't seen 50 shades of gray i probably wouldn't ever will but it's like i drunkenly tried to watch like the first hour of it after hanging out (laughs) with some friends one night and i stopped (laughs) and i feel like she really does have that kind of sensual energy to her but she's just been like just badly used in these types of empty titillating films yeah this, this is the kind of movie that like like I want to say, like a semi-conservative, like sexually frustrated middle-aged um, single people would just um, like find kind of edgy and titillating, maybe. Um, but um, but other than that, I didn't feel like I didn't get any value out of it, which which made me kind of hate you because at least <laughs> if I were to sit down and watch an outright bad movie, at least there's like some kind of thought behind it, like it would give me something to feel towards or whatever. But it, yeah, it just felt like. And the way that the fact that you said, because because I was going to ask you this, I was like, why did you put this on your overrated list? Because I didn't really hear about this movie that much. And yeah, if it if it was on like the top ten list, and it's just like, what do we watch the same movie or yeah. is is it people who are just in love with Tilda Swinton so much that they would just like give her any kind of a pass? Um, but but it <laughs> did get like I, I researched it a little bit because I didn't really look into this movie because as soon as I even saw the poster and like a couple of little snippets of reviews, I was just like. This is exactly like the kind of movie that I just I have absolutely no interest in, and I know exactly how it's going to turn out. But yeah, I did, yeah. I did, I did look it up after. It did get like really, really good reviews, and which is yeah, like it threw me weird. through a loop. But I'm I'm glad we got to talk about it because now I don't have to talk about it or think about it ever again. Uh, yeah, it's 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 just gone. It's just like pulled out of my brain right now, and done. we don't have to talk about it. Again. <laughs> so, so moving on to number three, what what is your number three? So uh, my number three is Ten Cloverfield Lane uh, for two reasons. Uh, well, first of all, <laughs> let me say that like there there's a lot of impressive stuff in this film. There's a lot of really interesting. Um, uh, there's 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 a, there's a there's a tight execution. It's a fun kind of rompy thriller to get through. Um, uh, my first issue with it is this is the cynical attempt of attaching a franchise to a film that had, that has absolutely nothing to do with it and then that kind of got praise as a brilliant marketing move as opposed to like okay we'll make this completely different movie and attach this name on it in order for it to make money because it wouldn't have gotten nearly the same amount of amount of attention and nearly the same amount of uh box office return if it didn't have 
<clears throat> the name Chlorophyll on it, which which it didn't when they were making it. It was a completely separate film, right. and they didn't even attempt to, you know, just like mild spoilers in the end. They didn't even attempt to to make the uh, the 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 beings, let's say, in the end, to even make them look like the Chlorophyll monster. Like at least do that. Like so, it was that was bizarre, and that kind of like I felt like that should have gotten, you know, like when a, when um. When straight to DVD uh, uh, sequels do that, and this has been like a straight to video sequels or whatever, this has been a thing that's been going on for for decades in, and especially in, in within the horror genre, like someone will make like a completely unrelated film and uh, that happens to take place, like it's a slasher film that happens to take place in the camp, and then they'll call it like Sleepaway Camp Four or something. Like has nothing mm-hmm. to do with you know, no characters that are connected. Troll nothing that's yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this has been going on for. So, so how come all of those people who've been doing this like hacky move to like attach a name to uh, a shitty movie they made just so it could be like oh it's a sequel so you'll have name recognition? How come those people are hacks? But uh, when ten when J J Abrams does it, he's a genius. Like it's this, he did the exact same thing. And, I would agree that he did the exact same thing, but I would also say that the movie at least leading up until the attempted tie-in is in definitely well crafted than pretty much anything oh yeah, was, else like, like those I mean, other movies my, my, my issue was is, is strictly with uh the way that it was uh it was marketed and the way that sure. the film was titled so that's issue number one issue number two let's get into the film itself and i feel like this was uh even though it was it was executed pretty well but it, i felt like it was three separate short films that were executed well it was it was almost like one of those um anthology films uh like let's say like creep show for example is the first example that comes to mind it was almost like one of those like, anthology films that f- sort of figured out a way to attach the characters and the story into like one feature length film because the the tone and the uh, the story um it just constantly like wildly switches and it, it felt to me like you know uh, when we were discussing, for example, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed as an overrated in one of the episodes, uh, we were talking about like, oh, he just put in that final five minutes of the movie where it becomes like all Spielbergian just to get like a bigger job in the future, maybe to show that he could handle like blockbuster material. And then he got um, Jurassic World and then Star Wars Episode Nine in the process. And I feel like this was... Um, What's the director's name? Dan Trachtenberg? Dan Trachtenberg. Yeah, Dan Trachtenberg. I, th- I feel like this was his way of... It was almost like watching a really expensive demo reel. Like, it's like with the first half hour, I can show you that I can do a taut, tight, like, um, suspenseful tr- thriller. And the second 30 minutes, I can show you, like, how I can do, like, um, a balls-of-the-wall crazy horror movie. And the third half hour is that, oh, here's me doing... Um, uh you know big budget um blockbuster extravaganza uh action uh so hire me for all these projects please that kind of that kind of a thing and i thought like and that's why that's what i mean by anthology it's almost like an anthology film where you get like pieces from different anthology series like the first uh, the first half hour was like an Alfred Hitchcock Presents. The second half hour was like Tales from the Crypt. And the third half hour was like Twilight Zone, like a big budget version of like Twilight Zone or something. And I, I see I, that. I feel like the I first like 60 those minutes elements for didn't, me didn't kept gel. like a consistent – to me the first 60 minutes or even 
it's like a what 105 minute movie first 80 minutes even i thought kept the really consistent tone and a very like like for for a first time director just has a just a strong grip on 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 tone on the just like like to me i found this movie to be gripping through most of it i i would agree that the ending i have mixed feelings about the ending i like i think, it's, I think it's completely atonal I, I think that that's that's part of the you know it's it's kind of like the safety not guaranteed thing it's like oh i want to show people that i can do like special effects extravaganza in a in a, I, I in a smaller see that. budget and it just did not fit in there and uh i know they're it trying to link tonal shift they have another film there's another film coming out uh that's supposed later to be this year that's going to be yeah. part of it and and i have mixed feelings about that because i love the idea of these movies interconnecting loosely um mm-hmm. and i love the idea of it essentially being a launching pad for up-and-coming filmmakers i mean dan trachtenberg started as a podcaster so this mm-hmm. is kind of a life goal <laughs> moment yeah. like watching this movie was very <laughs> inspiring despite its 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 faults but yeah, um, that's true but i but i i i, I could say I could definitely say uh, I could see where it's overrated in the sense that it's it's a very well done like genre movie, very well done B movie for 80 percent of it. Um, and the performances from all three of the leads, I think, are terrific. But I do. Uh, I, but I could see where people are a little bit overblown with it. Um, well, but the, I do well, overall come on the positive side. Um, of it. I do have an issue with the shoehorned um, psycho serial killer plot that it just that really felt your horn to me like i was just like oh, okay there's aliens outside but you're also like happen to have been uh stuck inside with someone who happens to be uh a psycho like it was, it was just like a, like a completely different two completely different films just like invaded this 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 really smart um kind of contained uh thriller and uh yeah it was going really well up until then so i would say like the first like 50 minutes or something like once that once that was inserted in there uh and i felt like it was kind of unnecessary because just the fact that you know you could see this character becoming unhinged anyway even if they right but i but i like the layers of that though that the the fact that Uh, it was a bit much uh, i that's fair to each their own yeah i liked i liked i liked that aspect of it Uh, and really until until that last finale, I, I pretty much with this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I could, uh, I could see that. that. Like, I just, just, it, it was just like just just make an expensive demo reel. Just don't make people pay for it. <laughs> fair <laughs> fair enough. I, I found it enjoyable. Um, I saw it at the Cinerama, and it was like a pretty, a pretty st- strange but effective to see it on like the one of the biggest screens in the country. Mm. But it. Um, but it being such a contained, like close quarters movie, mm. um, it just uh, it was effective. Um, cool, cool. So what's but, your uh, number three? Uh, my number three, um, and it brings me no joy to say this. Um, my number three is the Birth of a Nation, and it was a movie that I was very much looking forward to uh, after its uh, rapturous uh, Sundance debut that got a, a huge standing ovation, and it sold for any like the most money any movie sold for at Sundance, which should have been a red flag right there. Usually mm-hmm. movies that sell for a lot of money mm-hmm. doesn't pan out, but nonetheless, I was very excited uh, to see this movie and you know, the, this, the, it was drugged through the mud uh, throughout the year, but just, just focusing on the movie as a movie, mm-hmm. I just frankly did not think this was a very good movie. Uh, and maybe my expectation was too high. Maybe I was like, just really wanted to like it, but 
Um, I found the movie visually to be like completely flat. It looked like a television movie. Mm -hmm. Everything was overlit. Uh, Every character except for Nat Turner was like incredibly underdeveloped and, Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the message that the movie Sending is like like the movie's got a, a passion and an anger that that I think is is warranted and and there was you know the the audience that I saw with it mostly responded to it and uh, there, there was a woman um, I, I remember who was like walking down the uh, steps upon leaving the screening and just just kept like saying never forget over and over again and I'm mm. like that's like I wish oh, we had we had people had, like like. Uh, yelling, you know, Black Lives Matter, and that was great. Right. Like, the 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 reaction I feel like the screening of this film got at the the press screen that I was at because you know this is one of those screenings where they they mix the um, uh, the critics with the with the with the general audience right. uh, was a lot stronger and inspiring than the film itself because I felt so like kind of energized and inspired when walking out of it and then after a while starting to think about the film as an entity on its own and i was just like yeah it wasn't it was the it was the atmosphere which can you know film going experience can do that to you sometimes Mm -hmm. i i agree and i think you know i I was happy i I was happy like again you you, people are going to respond to a movie however they're going to respond and and it's nobody's place to tell them how they should respond to a movie and I, and I was, you know, if people responded to that, that's great. I just, I, I felt, I felt deeply uncomfortable watching this movie and not just because of the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Like the subject matter should make you feel uncomfortable, but I felt like it went beyond that. Uh, for me, I, I don't know. It felt like I haven't felt like that watching a movie since passion of the Christ, like the passion um, of the Christ version of a slavery version of uh, passion. Yeah. Of the Christ. Like, like it was just sort of like, it it was brutal and and we know that was you know we know the the brutality like we we've seen films and you know we've heard stories and i'm sure is mm-hmm. even worse than what this movie mm-hmm. shows but it's just uh I, I just i didn't see everything was i i can i can chalk it. that up to uh i can chalk that up to like a freshman filmmaker uh kind of situation where it's like you know, I feel like maybe you're talking about like how uh, the scene where they like break all their teeth so they can like force feed them and stuff like that, and it's just disgusting yeah, and horrifying. But it's also it is um, it's not gratuitous. I don't want to say gratuitous, but it is it's 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 definitely like obvious in the way that it tries to make you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, like take that scene and compare it to uh, the long single take shot in uh, Twelve Years a Slave, where he's just dangling from the rope and you see just the slaves behind her in the background just going about their their regular day-to-day business Mm -hmm. and the normalization of that situation of how steve mcqueen uh, captured that was i feel like 10 times more disturbing where you don't you don't see like it's that the 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 horrific situation of that is not like stuck in your face. It's not, right. it's not like, yeah, you got, you have to look at this and look at how horrible that is, which is, which that's another approach to it. And it does make you feel sick and it does make you feel, uh, make you feel the hor- horrific nature of it. And I feel like if a more, um, uh, if a better executed, much, much better executed film than uh, 12 years of slave, I look at that film as a masterpiece that as I 12, agree. And, and 12 that years of slave didn't come along. I feel like maybe I would have liked birth of a nature na- nation a lot more, but the, the effect that birth of a nation tried to get out of the audience 
I feel like 12 Years a Day Slave did that so much better with like a, a, a subtler approach because it's the way that the character, the horrific nature of the events that the characters have to go through are not things that you really have to accentuate with any kind of uh, an obvious style. It's they're, they're, they're horrific on their own anyway. All you have to do is <laughs> just like Steve McQueen did is to just like set the camera and show it. So you mm-hmm. have that like four minute like long single take or whatever where he's just like dangling by the rope and he's just like just choking and that movie is about forced perspective because you're put in the perspective of Mm -hmm. Solomon Northup at any given time and granted this movie is almost entirely from the perspective of of Nate Turner but it doesn't it doesn't affect it affects the character's emotional you know emotional state what they're feeling but like the like scene like the the the, the t-scene doesn't affect like anything physically like what they're going mm-hmm. through so it does oh, yeah. again not gratuitous but it just doesn't it, again it doesn't seem necessary and i and i feel like the movie again for all it, it's it's passion that's commendable i just i i feel like it sends a weird mixed message um mm-hmm. by the end especially with the like sort of uh, yeah. religious and and, and yeah. deity things yeah, that was going yeah. it's, there. there there's there's a little bit of a uh messiah complex right there. and as which yeah, we'll talk was, about was, here yeah <laughs> we're, we're about to talk second. about it in a second uh, and we're about to talk about like fill in the blank uh, version of passion of the christ in a second too uh but um but yeah yeah I th- you're right and it does have like the um i think he was far too ambitious for what the limitations of his talents were sure and i feel I would like if he, if he if he he wanted to make this like epic just disturbing soul crushing this mm-hmm. film and i feel like if he was just like yeah i just want to like tell the truth and show people you know what it was and with the best of my ability i think if, if he was a little bit i don't want to like maybe subtler about it and you know yeah there was definitely like that kind of um approach there was some like really beautiful gorgeous things in this film i do agree with you especially with the first hour it did look like uh like a basic cable um like, you know, when we walked out of it, I I told uh, Eric that it looked like the first hour, especially looked like like a History Channel movie or something. Uh, exactly, and know, I like almost would have maybe liked it better if that's what it if was. If that was the case, that's... if 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 this was like a History Channel movie with all the brutality that was included in it, I would have applauded it. As It'd be a its... ballsy History yeah. Channel movie, but as a movie, it just sort of like again, it the the ambition exceeded his grasp. I think especially Nate Parker since it's got, is, since it got all that like. Um, insanely positive reaction at Sundance which like after <sighs> after this and after dope I'm just like I'm done with the whatever like uh movie that like makes people go crazy at Sundance this year I'm gonna be like I'm gonna like you know we'll see when it's when it gets released <laughs> I do have to say I I one thing I, I am uh, uh, appreciative well one thing I found annoying but I'm, I'm also glad it backfired this has nothing to do with the 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 film making itself but i i feel it's oddly cynical that fox searchlight spent a lot of money um on this movie that they could position as an oscar movie and mm-hmm. like position it as an awards movie it's to because of the oscar's mo- so white controversy from last right year, but they could yeah. position it as like but a movie to white voters and it feels like you know so many movies mm-hmm. about black lives that end up being nominated for awards are about slavery and i kind of you know that kind of blew up in their face and the movies that are being seen uh as award contenders this year moonlight a mm-hmm. great movie mm-hmm. fences mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. like this movie's nowhere on that radar. I, I mean, think, it I is think op- as 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 predictable and as kind of like you know just standard as it was. I think even hidden figures would be more inspiring in a way. I, like, it or, seems like, you know. and I haven't seen that movie yet, but yeah. just based on what I've seen, however you know broad it may be, that story is is a great story to be told and should be told. Um, so I, I it's you know, an overall I, better I, executed movie. It doesn't have any. You know, like def- Birth of a Nation definitely has like more uh, memorable uh, stylistically and narratively sequences in it. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so there was a, but you know, talking about Moonlight, I mean, that blows it the fuck out of the water. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. Um, well, I think we might have like tipped uh, uh, tipped our hand a little bit, but uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us your your number two? <laughs> so so my number two is. Uh, uh, the World War II version of Passion of the Christ, uh, Mel Gibson's comeback movie, Hacksaw Ridge. You're like gum on a shoe, ain't you? Give me this. It's a bit late for target practice now, don't you think? <laughs> Jump on it. You're kidding. I'm gonna drag you. Uh, and this is the movie that kind of broke the camel's back for me. Like, I just, it just finally got me to realize that I just. I really like I can't stand his uh particular brand of um the, the his particular brand of hypocrisy when it comes to depicting um very horrific simple, violence horrific violence with mixing mixed with like very very simple minded spirituality and uh uh, I don't even want to say study on fate, on fate because study implies that there was some kind of like there were different viewpoints or there was like <laughs> it was like some kind of like it's just it's it's it, you know Matt Gibson is a guy uh, you know he's I think I've, I think he's a great actor he's an incredibly charismatic guy he, the, the man is still uh, a, a a bona fide movie star but I think as a filmmaker like his his black and white worldview. Um, Especially after this election season where, uh, you know, being like having this like simplistic you're either with us or against us kind of mentality has kind of dominated like this movie really just like just made me mad on on that front. Uh, But yeah, I've I've basically had it with his like black and white worldview where like every character, uh, you know, the characters either have to be uh, messiah figures without any uh weaknesses um and death and everybody they come across uh they have to fight against have to be just uh irredeemable um sometimes faceless nameless horrific monsters and um and it's just you know that's that's one of the issues with it is that that he does have that kind of uh you know, approach to his filmmaking, which is, you know, that's the same with Braveheart, you know, like William Wallace is a messiah figure. Every single soldier or um, enemy that he fights are total, like, irredeemable pieces of shit. Same thing with Passion of the Christ. And it's, um, the thing about that is, um, I feel like that kind of simplistic, um, like, like almost I, w- I would say almost like childishly simplistic outlook on life combined with his talent as a as a as a technician as a filmmaker especially as an as a as an action filmmaker who can handle like horrific violence and make it look 
uh, I don't want to say beautiful, but make it look striking at least. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Mel Gibson would have been one of the greatest like exploitation directors uh, of all time. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I think when the battles happened in this movie, like especially like I I went opening night and the theater was packed, and I had to sit like second from the front. Um, and when that when those sequences happened, it was like like. I started chuckling and not because it was like I didn't know how to react to it because it started so suddenly and so like horrifically that I was like I don't know what the fuck is happening. And then you have a guy so using a using response. a torso as a human shield and all that. Jesus, and, uh, well, there's that, but that, th- th- yeah, yeah. There's, I, there's I, a lot of there's a lot of horrific stuff in there, but it's all like it's it's exciting in a in a, in a way that it pumps up your adrenaline. It's not exciting in a way that makes you feel. I don't know. I didn't feel it's. I didn't feel like horrified. I didn't feel like I felt like it was like the fact that this was like a really excitingly handled spectacle was always at the front of my mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, like compared to is this is not a film. This is a film that I have many issues with. That we we always we every once in a while we talk about like me putting this as a overrated pick. But like uh, it made me almost appreciate Saving Private Ryan a little bit more because of like how. Um, Spielberg handled um, uh, makes makes the battle scenes so much more subjective by sticking to close-ups and out-of-focus shots and like you can't there are times when you can't you, you can't figure out what the fuck is going on all this crazy shit is happening and with uh, uh but when you pull out of that like Mel Gibson does and he uses a lot of like white shots uh when you use a white shot in a film where you're you're supposed to be kind of showing the horrors of war and your your commentary uh, is supposed to be because of the 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 inherent pacifism the dogged pacifism of of the main character the point of your story is supposed to be like how horrific war is and when when you the way that he shoots it he can't help himself but but uh, and that's a problem that Passion of the Christ has that that he can't help himself but make it look attractive make it look like a spectacle and that's that's like such the wrong possible the i feel like that's the worst possible approach you can take but yeah it's like it's like that hypocrisy of like and that was like really outlined in this film because it is about a character who is doggedly you know pacifist and he's like i won't touch a gun i don't want to kill people and like his so his catholic side his his religious side like really takes over then, but then his Hollywood side really takes over the second half, and those two things like just constantly keep clashing with each other, and uh, and yeah, just this was the film that broke me. Like I got to a point where I was just like, I can't I can't deal with your bullshit anymore. I understand. I I think maybe as a spectacle, I enjoyed it. I also like weirdly enough, like the but black and white. You're not supposed to enjoy it as a spectacle. It's supposed to be like I a know. Very, you know what I mean? Like right. You're you're right. It's, I mean it is. I don't know how to describe it. It was an Oscar but... bait, like just emotionally engaging drama about this guy who was just like striving to, like if he if he would. That's what I mean by an exploitation director. If he would just like leave behind that that like his his desire to be taken so seriously, he could make like a boss of the wall, like insane, like just go out and make like. You know, well, I'd argue Apocalypto is that movie. Yeah, and and Eric Eric argued that too, and that's true. And I've, I haven't revisited Apocalypto, and one of my major issues with Apocalypto was that, you know, when I watched it, and it was like, oh, it's supposed to be from Mel Gibson, director of Braveheart, and the Oscar guy, and then like the seriousness of the Passion of the Christ or whatever. And then I was just like, I watched it, and I was just like, this is just a run of the mill like action flick. Uh, but 
I feel like if I revisit it now with the with the uh, kind of outlook that I have about um, how I feel like Mel Gibson should be an exploitation director, maybe that'll turn out to be like my favorite film of I, his. I think that would uh, help you. Like, I think you would appreciate that movie in a different uh, in that light. Um, it's just some disgusting did... things about colonialism, but it's just minor. Yeah, couple of minutes true. here and there. It's not you can you can ignore it. That's true, but I, I, to me, I honestly, just despite the, uh, you know, maybe the clashing uh, sides of this movie and like being about a messiah figure, and man, if it wasn't for like that final shot, I would have liked this movie probably more. Um, which is like, God, you really didn't have to hammer it home that hard. We get it. Well, he's, but, not, he's not a subtle filmmaker. I mean, it's like, well, no, he's you know, not. He's, he's 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 using the like, for example, Andrew Garfield character like uses the uh, uh, the rope is sliding through his fingers, and you know both his palms start bleeding. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I know, know that it's supposed to be that, but I, but I was at least interested in this character struggle solely because, and I, maybe I, I don't necessarily appreciate the black and white worldview, but it was nice to see, like to see a movie that didn't feel, because I feel like in recent years, we've had a lot of movies about like the war on terror and we've had filmmakers who have a worldview that is just, different than mine make them like we Mm -hmm. had 13 hours by michael bay Mm -hmm. which i Mm -hmm. just found objectionable i hated it and Mm -hmm. same with american sniper by clint eastwood and Mm -hmm. uh i didn't hate lone survivor but like it's a similar thing where it's like there's a political stance with those movies and maybe it's because this is set in world war ii so the movie is you know claiming to be more of a period piece but it felt like i was watching a movie of somebody who felt like who was truly heroic because they stuck to what they believed in and they did save Oh, I, w- uh, I would have loved to. I would have loved to have seen a documentary about this. I mean, the, you see, True. like, like short clips at the very end of the real guy, which is I'm one of the like... very few movies where I've enjoyed seeing that at yeah. the end because yeah, he yeah. he says, like, he says exact things that Gibson took, uh, like, I mean, exact lines that he took uh, and and put in the movie. And as ham-fisted as it is, there's not a single. There's there's nothing like this in any of those other movies I mentioned where yeah, yeah, you're, he you're right he, about that. And, and where he goes to yeah. a, a Japanese soldier like you know what I'm talking about yeah, and he gives easy, him the, it's 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 on the nose and so easy but I was like but other films it's, wouldn't it's even it's like it's like at least you tried you you get a pat on right, the back <laughs> right exactly so I mean it's a movie <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. probably just kind of like. Would I ever watch it again? Probably not. But I, th- I think I, I don't get to as many movies as I used to. Maybe I'm just being more lenient. I don't know. Maybe I need to be tougher. But I, I did, I did enjoy my, you know, I did, I get something out of watching this mm. movie. Um, and I, and I, 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 I don't do wanna, think, yeah, I don't, I don't want to oh. make it sound like, um, you know, I'm belittling what the real guy accomplished. I think that's no, it's, for it's sure. an amazing story that that needed to be told. I feel like, yeah, it, it needed. Oh, to I be know told that. We're gonna get to with, that with my. We're gonna get that with my number yeah, one. Yeah, we're, we're, we're so gonna get there. So, so let, let's move on to uh, your number two, Ryan. Oh, my number two. Uh, we'll make this brief because there's really not much to say about this movie, and it's uh, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Um, you know, apologize to your wife in advance, who I know is you, you, a huge you, Harry Potter fan. You you made me watch it, so we better have something to say. Okay, because, we'll have because okay, I wasted fine. two we'll, hours on it. God damn it! Like two hours and fifteen minutes, or whatever. Oh, God it was. damn this yeah. movie! It feels. So so long um man i i don't know i think this is the the worst movie that's been made set in the harry potter movies that includes the first two chris columbus movies man, yeah you're uh, right I, I don't think i would have agreed with you i wouldn't have liked to have agreed with you but you're right 
Sure. It's just it's, to me this it's it you know talking about Captain America: Civil War. If that movie is about mo- uh, like moving pieces and getting to the next movie, then this movie is a thousand percent guilty of that because I mm-hmm. don't feel anything in this movie connected with me in the movie itself. Like there mm-hmm. there is nothing in this movie that I felt like was a sturdy plot thread. There's about mm-hmm. five different plots going on in this movie, uh, and none of them feel like they had and, and then, and then anything the, to the, do with the, one the major antagonist is revealed and goes like i'll see you next movie oh my god that reveal he looks he looks like judge doom when he reveals himself <laughs> to be a tune in who framed roger rabbit like it's when, so when I comical your brother i looked like yes this. <laughs> exactly i i l- literally laughed out loud in yeah, the theater because i had no other response for it um but yeah, this movie is like uh, I talked it, to my it, wife it, it beforehand. Has the, uh, it has the uh, Lord of the Rings ending problem without uh, having like twelve hours of story in front of it too. That was another yeah. Well, it has me. multiple endings and multiple plot threads, and like I was not really thrilled to see it. Um, but what, do you, what, and, what were you and, saying to your wife? Oh, she well, she she asked me like why I was so down on it going in because I you know mostly do like the Harry Potter movies and have read all the books, and I was like why I was like. I was like Phantom Menace uh, and uh, Unexpected Journey. I was like, that's why I'm not excited for this movie. I was like, this movie is going to be <laughs> the equivalent to the Harry Potter movies. Like, I just I feel it in my gut and then left the movie. I'm like, yeah, it's, it was exactly that. It's a mess. It, it's an attempt to capture the magic of the other movies. Um, and it's and it's this whole universe. I think that's the one thing that I was like, at least semi interested is like there's this whole world that you can go to explore and you're just kind of kind of repeat similar plot beats from the Harry Potter movies. And I know eventually it's just going to get like, it's going to lead up to, you know, I'm sure Lily and James Potter will show up at some point. And like, it, it's going to get to that point. And I'm just like, Oh, uh, I, I don't even want to get started. Like I was already, like, I they're already name checking right Dumbledore and, um, and Hogwarts. Well, and, well, what this movie is to me is like, is basically like, okay, the horse is dead. It's decomposed. Yes. You, you beat it into, like, decomposition. No bones are left. There's only the teeth. And now you're just, like, <laughs> just endlessly kicking the teeth to see if there, like, any, like, gold pieces will come out of it or something. Like, it's it's just gotten to a point where it's just, like, you know, there are some franchises. I know they make money, and I know they're, like, this. But there was, like, no reason for this to exist. I mean, there was nothing in it no. that was... That added anything to Harry Potter lore. There was nothing in it that was, and it could have been interesting. I mean, one of the main complaints I had about Harry Potter, especially like during the first couple of movies when they were still kids, um, mm-hmm. was that was that I felt like there was this like really uh, interesting magical world that's being set up, but it it almost felt like like you start Star Wars with like the Jedi Academy or something. Like, there's a Star Wars universe out there, but the way that you start the Star Wars story is by showing, like, a bunch of uh, Padawans go into, like, Jedi Academy, and they're, like, there's all these, like, badass, like, lightsaber battles happening outside of the school and all that stuff, but what you're seeing is them, like, learning how to do all that stuff, but, like, you know, so, you know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's why it felt like uh, when Order of the Phoenix came and Dumbledore and Voldemort were, like, going at it, I was just like, fucking finally... Yeah. And and I felt like okay, it's a prequel with adult characters, uh so there's going to be like it's going to be more 
gritty and maybe more adult. Which <laughs> no, was it the is exact not. opposite. It was. It <laughs> felt like it felt like the Chris Columbus movies. Like it was like really kind of kiddie and. Whimsical? Well, yeah, there's that scene where uh, Newt Scamander, like, does a mating dance to, like, try and lure that one beast in. I was like, this is fucking goofy. And then it, like, yeah. juxtaposed with the, like, shady, like, election that's going on in the movie and with the stuff with um, uh, Ezra Miller's character. And I'm just like, what does any of this have to do with one another? <laughs> it, it, it's it's uh, all just that, like, that that annoying universe building that everybody's trying to it get is. a piece of the pie out of and it's it's just, it, that can get like really annoying sometimes this was definitely one of those cases and yeah it just felt like yeah it was goofy it was very like it was more catered toward children than the films about the children were like and it, it just that so was weird. stilted like almost stilted, everybody yep. with the exception of dan fogler who i will admit is pretty good in this movie he's, like he's, ev- he, anybody... he gives it humanity not only because he's like the one muggle in the story or whatever but at least he's you know i can't i mean it's he's a... the only one who has a complete arc in this movie yes that's like... true and uh yeah i didn't I mean you know i i can't really like it. I, I personally can't stand Eddie Redmayne. So that's same what, here. But, but his character was also like very underdeveloped. Um, Agree. If and, he gave a good performance, like I would, I would let my you know my personal taste out of the way and admit that he gave a good performance. But like, or he, give a batshit performance like Jupiter Ascending. That would have been fun at least. <laughs> yeah, that would have in this movie. That would have been great. But like, yeah, I still know nothing about that character. And poor Catherine Waterston. She looked like she would rather oh, be anywhere she's else so, doing. She's so talented else. and so gorgeous. And it was. I felt bad for her almost. Like I did too. It's. It's just. It's just such a like. Man, I can't man, see this P- disappointment. PTA. PTA, just come rescue her, please. Yeah, I put her put her in your next movie. Yeah. But I, I just was like, you know, I wasn't looking forward to this movie, but I thought, you know, David Yates steered that series to the finish line very well. Like, you know, maybe maybe there could be something here. And my wife went and saw The Handmaiden with me, so I owe her. Uh, and, uh, yeah. This... The Handmaiden is great. What are you talking about? Well, I know it's great, but it's not a type of movie she would normally go see, uh, even though I she liked it. But, so I, I went, and it was like, I didn't hate it, but it was just kind of exactly what I expected, which was not much. It's um, not. I mean, it's not. It's. It is long. It, it is. It, it does get like, so long. It, I mean, and but it's only you know like compared to the other Harry Potter movies, it's the shortest one. But but it does feel long because it doesn't have the same kind of uh, energy and well, lore. Though. It's it's not it's not paced in, in, in a. I feel like if they weren't like, okay, this is Harry Potter. This has to be two hours and fifteen minutes. If they were just like. Let's just keep this at like ninety minutes. We have enough story for ninety minutes. Let's just keep it to that. I, I feel like it would have been fine as like a ninety-minute kids movie. But like I said, it's like my uh, one of my biggest problems with the Harry Potter uh, franchise was that I want to see the world outside of this with like mm-hmm. adult wizards going like just battling each other and all that stuff. And I feel like that could have been done. And so it's a as much as I could see this as like a cynical way to you know to cash grab, but like at least they could have done something with that, and I feel like they played it like insanely safe with just fan service, and that was about it, really. I agree. Also, like like not to keep harping on it, and I did this with Birth of Nation. Visually, this movie looks like crap, also, and the creatures look terrible. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, it's I, pretty I, flat. I'm, like I, I see the Hobbit. Uh, uh, resemblance definitely the the parallels mm-hmm. and especially we'll see that more and more i feel like yes. uh especially if they keep the same crew and the you know um he he definitely um what's it david yates um no david yates is the uh, other guy no david yates david yates good. okay uh, peter yates david yates but um oh yeah <laughs> uh dave david yates it's, it's obvious that he's suffering from the the the, the peter jackson situation where the passion's not there anymore you could see mm-hmm. 
And yes. it's it's almost like, yeah, dude, maybe give it away to someone else. Like, don't like learn Peter Jackson's lessons where he was just like, fuck it, we'll just do the green screen. I don't care. <laughs> also, so, also yeah. pass pass uh, J.K. Rowling's script to a script doctor because novels are not the same as screenplays. Yes, just saying. <laughs> yes, 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 completely agreed. Uh, um, so yeah, we're we're to the number ones. And yeah, this this is gonna get interesting. What what is your number one? So my number one is um, Nocturnal Animals, which is a film that um, frustrated me to no end, not only because it got um, amazing reviews uh, and um, it's getting like all this awards buzz for its performances, which is something that I really don't get. And um, unless it's Michael Shannon. But yeah, yeah, Michael Shannon. But Mike, Michael Shannon. You add Michael Shannon to any piece of shit movie, and he'll he'll bring something into it. True. Uh, but yeah, this this was like, you know, I love uh, really incredibly well handled art films, uh, but I also have uh, love in my heart for um, exceptionally well made exploitation, really good trash, like the good kind of trash, and. Uh, but it bugs me when uh, kind of a highfalutin art house director or someone with that kind of sensibility tries to handle um, like pulp without um, much understanding or respect in regards to like why good pulp, why good trash can like really work. Um, you know, and and I feel like this was a really misguided film. This really um, annoyed me in the way that it told, like the the story within the story was the you know it was like a revenge fantasy um, exploitation type of thing that I think was just like really kind of by the numbers and bland, uh, mixed with like the misunderstanding of like something that has to be something that's pulp and something that that's trash has to be constantly over the top and into a point where it has to be cartoonish almost and uh you know all that stuff really bothered me the i didn't give two shits about any of the the characters outside of the book within the movie uh amy amy adams and uh, jake gyllenhaal and uh you know we're supposed to think um and i think army hammer is just going to be stuck playing like yuppie pricks his entire life uh, yeah just, that's i just think his, so like, that's, <laughs> that's just his fate his, <laughs> that's his fate that's his lot in life now but you know he, he was just like okay yeah he's a he's a yuppie prick that's it and then like it was just like the archetypes were uh so flat without any depth like um you know amy adams you could see like oh, just the artist who's um kind of stuck in this like loveless marriage and considering like did i make the wrong choice but then at the same time like the film i don't is... think we're supposed to feel bad for her more on that yeah later, no no i, 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 I understand to... that but 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 also you're supposed to kind of feel um maybe kind of uh vindication for the jake gyllenhaal character the author one not the character within the book mm-hmm. uh but the problem is that at the end, you're like, at least the way I was looking at it was like, in the end, I'm like, well, you had two shitty choices, but you probably did make the right choice because Jake Gyllenhaal's character is a shitty writer. <laughs> going back to, going by the book within the film, that's a horrible fucking book. Well, I, 
It is, but I think that I, I'm not going to defend this movie. I'll just say, but but I do but, I do what, think like, that was one touch. That was the, one the touch like, I kind of liked about the movie is because oh. like they they showed later that she like criticized his writing or called it pedestrian, and so I feel like him deliberately or or writing in his style because that book's not meant to be published anywhere. It's meant directly to her, you know, as a very obvious metaphor. But I I kind of liked the gaps in logic and the stuff like, like within the story, like that's the one thing I found interesting of the story within the story is that it was made in the vein of his not so great writing. Uh, yeah, but we shouldn't have, like when, when it's, when it's that badly written, I feel like Tom Ford was just like, really like, yeah, I'm going to be edgy and I'm going to get into this and show all this like horrific stuff happening to this character. It's going to be a revenge fantasy about like how he goes after these guys after his, um, his wife and his daughter is murdered, but the, the, the atonal approach that he has to that, all those like kind of uh, prototypical sequences that you get from a revenge fantasy exploitation film about like the, the horrific stuff that happens at the beginning. And then, you know, the, the protagonist kind of facing his fears to to basically go out there and get revenge, even if he's not like as violent or as experienced as a... Um, as a killer or whatever have you. And uh, I laughed are... really hard because in your letterbox review, you called it like a shitty straw dogs. And in mine, I called it like a shitty Hills have eyes. So like there's there two very like distinctive genre movies, like, like I get pick one. And I, like, I think those are both like, that. I think those are both great examples of like how you can take that and like make, you know, just sometimes the best way to criticize a film is to just, just basically point to, a film that handled the same subject matter much in a much better way. And right. I would say like the original Hills of Eyes uh, is, is great trash. And the original um, Straw Dogs is, uh, to me, is a bona fide masterpiece. And, I um, agree with that. <laughs> and it, it kind of deals with the same kind of situation. Like the pussy liberal um, uh, gets kind of uh, put in a situation where he has to kind of nut up and, uh, you know, fight back. Uh, against like the the violence of like the alpha males who are trying to or basically like usurping on his his domain, and it deals with the complexities of that kind of like uh, situation where it's just where Sam Peckinpah's like his speciality is is showing how you know essentially like we're all animals and that the reptilian brain takes over and it's like game over for you for your your kind of like you know all those like pretenses that you have about being an artist or an intellectual or whatever and uh handles it in 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 a much much better way but this in the way that this was handled is like um he the book within the movie he the way that he visualizes it is um he pulls the char- characters up to such an over the top point where they become cartoons the rednecks are cartoons, the uh, into such a point where just like they're almost like incoherent beasts. But Jake Gyllenhaal's like liberal pussy city slicker character is just like pulled to a point where it's just like these people are like openly going to rape your wife and daughter, and you're still like, hey guys, hey come on, come on guys, just stop that. You know, it's like it's it's just so infuriatingly written in a way that's just like it just felt as a lover of these types of films if they're done right. That felt like condescending, like as if it was just like Tom Ford saying, like, I'm a better filmmaker than this because I'm this and that. Uh, so, you know, this this is how like these type of movies work. Like, yeah, let me just like pull that off or something. Like, I, I didn't feel any 
uh, real interest in in trying to pull off that kind of a story, and that kind of like pissed me off. So, yeah, no, I, that's 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 my biggest like thing through the movie. Like two things: number one, the story within the story is not exciting, and it's mostly a slog to sit through. And it's like, yeah, you see the layers getting peeled back of like what's happening in real life versus what's happening in the story, but. Um, about halfway through the movie, I, I predicted where it was going to end. And, and I guess I was just like thinking I was hoping the movie would subvert my expectations. And I, I feel like Tom Ford thinks he's being ballsy by ending the movie on an anticlimax. But it's like but it is it's not like a ballsy anticlimax. It's one that just yeah truly feels anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. And I knew too, like I feel like the, the the opening credit sequence of this movie, like I, I, I just knew it was going to be such a like pretentious art piece mm-hmm. that i'm like yeah. oh boy i was like okay well now i really gotta like like i don't want to call this movie full of shit from the opening frame but i also like i'm like this movie's gonna have to work really hard to you know mm-hmm. to persuade me otherwise and, and what was uh, the point just, of the opening credits like i felt like there was gonna be some kind of thematic connection there but i think it's... the idea um but behind that uh it's not really that like it. it the, the what I could gather from it to me is that like there's one point in the movie where Michael Sheen refers to like a comment on junk culture. Hmm. But the idea is that like they're they're happy and excitable in that scene. Whereas like so, Amy so, Adams, there's beauty in visible. junk culture or whatever that kind or of, or the, there's either beauty in junk culture or there's a beauty of being like the, like just being like, yeah, I'm like whatever way. And like Amy Adams is mi- hmm. miserable. And so, like, that's the only like, juxtaposition I could think. Like, maybe. I, I'm Again, mm. maybe. Like, a bigger splash. I might be grasping for <laughs> air here. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's, like, the one thing I can maybe get at. But, yeah, it was it, it was one of those things that's, like, you know, doesn't offend me in the least. I, but I was just like, oh, what? What's good? Like, where is this going to lead? Mm. <laughs> sort of thing. And, and Yeah, uh, so, so I just felt like this was, like, totally just overblown and uh, i agree like i, I don't yeah. get the praise for it and it's a movie that i'm like god I, I don't hate it but i found it just like you to be incredibly frustrating and mm-hmm. i'm like it's a movie that i would like if it ends up on a streaming service i would almost like hit play just to see if anything like clicks or like give it mm-hmm. a little bit but maybe. i just i don't maybe but i i yeah i i, I was uh i think i went and saw it the day it opened in uh, seattle and i was yeah pretty pretty sorely disappointed when and i left the fucking, theater fucking aaron taylor johnson man find another career please just everything uh, I, I see this dude in like he's either at zero or 11 and i'm like and the fact that he's getting all this praise and didn't he like recently win an award and he's won a golden globe which fuck again no that one... No one cares about oh. the Globes anyway, but st- I, I, I don't know. It was such know. a cartoon I, character, and, like, it was so bad, dude. Like, is it, is it one of those where, like, you know, the, the nominee gives, like, a great... He must have given, like, a f- fantastic luncher or something like that like it's, well did you it's did you hear uh did you hear that the screeners to the hollywood foreign press came with tom ford fragrance and mm-hmm. that's i feel like that's probably why it ended up with oh, man. well the globes are star fuckers anyway. yeah no, I, know I, that, I know that's so. that's that's totally true but but still it's that's disgusting yeah, yeah I, I agree <laughs> but yeah it just it just it it, it whatever kind of goodwill i maybe found the movie yeah. like when i hear stuff like that i'm like oh fuck off that's ridiculous yeah so so let, let's get to the the to the fucking snooze fest that's your number one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a good way to describe it uh uh my number one is sully 
Today, we begin with our Operation and Human Performance investigation on the crash of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Water landing. Captain? This was not a crash, and it wasn't a ditching. We knew what we were trying to execute here. It was not a, it's not a crash. It was a forced water landing. Why didn't you attempt to return to LaGuardia? There simply was not enough altitude. <laughs> the latest film from Clint Eastwood. And it's only and 90 I, minutes long. Ah, man, but it feels like an eternity. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, it's you know, despite a, a, a decent, like, Tom Hanks performance, it's just there's there's no movie here. I think that's the biggest nope. problem. And, and I think for me, it's just Clint Eastwood is a very workmanlike director, like credit where credit's due. But I just feel like he doesn't have the technical prowess the, like he he's not you know he's the anti David Fincher you know mm-hmm. he does like one yeah. or two takes and he calls it good and I think that um you know to be able to pull off like the plane crash sequence especially a scene where you know that there are no casualties to like you know mm-hmm. the story going in like you have to be you have to be like an, an immersive filmmaker to make that scene effective and it just yeah, ends you, up kind you have of have to be being... one of those showman directors too right I, well, of, I they, they got mostly... the worst possible choice when it comes yeah, to that. like eastwood is not a showman director like he he he's done some films i really like but yeah he is not that person and i kept thinking and, and not just because both movies star tom hanks but i kept thinking of captain phillips a lot while watching mm-hmm. this movie and i was like man if paul greengrass made, made this movie like oh yeah like, oh, like like captain phillips is a movie that like you know the outcome of that movie but like i was pinned to my seat the entire time. Oh, you know, you know the outcome that. of uh, United ninety three, a, a, a flight movie, a yeah. movie that has a plane in it, and that's you yeah. know the outcome of that movie. And that movie and is that's one of those films that I I think is fucking amazing, and I refuse to watch it again because of how intense and mm-hmm. it's upsetting so it visceral, was. And so like yeah. yeah, impactful, and it's just mm-hmm. and solely just you know it, it it's a movie that like you just you're never immersed in the experience. And so you're just kind of watching it from this cold distance. And so it's like, even, even for Eastwood, yeah, the plane stuff is for him technically impressive, but that doesn't mean it is overall. And everything that happens in between, like the movie never like the people it's filler. And the people who praise this movie, uh, wholeheartedly like talk about how, you know, talk about Hank's character about Sullenberger dealing with like, that it's like having lived with that incident and also uh dealing with the like did he make the right decision and eastwood being not a very subtle filmmaker uh never puts a doubt in your mind watching the movie that he did that make the right decision that he yeah. did yeah that he did made a wrong decision that's what makes and, it even worse filler because yeah it's so bad and then there's that line that he says at the end of the movie to aaron eckhart he's like you know we we did our job and i feel like that's like kind of it's kind of Eastwood's little like maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I feel like Eastman being a workman like filmmaker and because he does, you know, fall under scrutiny for the the shit that he says is like saying like that's almost him to the audience being like, yeah, this is this is what I do. I do my mm. job. Shut up. I can a- I can <laughs> I can kind of see that. But I think it was more of like a a little bit of a pander to like the the the, the core working class audience that this film is going for. Yes. And um, and I know people who love it. Like yeah, I, yeah, there, there's a, there's a, a little friend. bit of a pandering there, and a couple of occasions, like there's a little bit of that kind of like, um, like this this right wing hatred of uh, regulations and how they like turn 
the uh, um, the airline regulations, not the regulations, but like whatever they're called, like the those people, the people who are like investigating the crash into the villains. When apparently in real life they were so supportive that the real Sully like demanded the filmmakers change the names of those characters so that the the real people wouldn't get catch any kind of scrutiny. I mean, it's just like, but this film overall is like they just wanted to show the crash on IMAX. That's all they wanted to do. Right. And, and I, I did not crash, see it in IMAX. I saw it in the yeah. theater, but I did not see it in IMAX. And it's just kind of like, I mean, it, they, they got the, they got the wrong director. Number one for that. Let's just, let's <laughs> just put that aside for a second. They just want to show the crash, the crash uh, story from beginning, middle and end is like 20 minutes tops, which is, like, yeah, and they the do it way. in real time, which is like one of the like only semi impressive things that yes, this movie does. But, but it's, it's 20 minutes. It's, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's as much material as you're going to get out of that. And it's like, it's hard to have people pay, you know, get Tom Hanks to do like, uh, basically like a procedural 20 minutes short where he just like talks about all this, like the, the switches in the cockpit and blah, blah. Like he doesn't really get into any kind of real dramatics. And uh, if if this was just a twenty minutes short, and it's hard to have people pay like twelve dollars just to go see that, so they were like, okay, we need to like wrap around like a feature around this, and it just doesn't work. It's just there's there's so much filler, there's so much repetition, there's so many like there's so much stuff in this film where you're just like, yeah, you're just padding out the runtime. Like there's all these yeah. um, there's the uh, um, the nightmare sequences where Sully imagines like how he could have crashed into. Um, buildings and stuff like that and that stuff is just like over long and uh doesn't really affect like he he we know that he knows from the very beginning there's no character arc we know that he knows from the very beginning that he made the right choices yeah. that's what he's like kind of fighting against so why is he having these nightmares because the script itself doesn't like really give him any doubt apart from that like there's no hint of that and uh yeah and then you see like they do the um uh, they do the simulations, and you have to watch every single simulation from beginning to end for five. Oh, fucking the simulations minutes. are bad, and then you have to watch like the like the can't you edit around it? Like, not, like, not just show like maybe the the very end where like you know they you know they do the simulation one way and they do the simulation another way, but you see yeah. all the like three minutes of bullshit that like the yeah. exact same lines and the exact same things that they did it's just like just cut to the end of it that's the part that matters but then you end up with a 70 minute long movie and it's just it's it's so ridiculous i agree i it just i never understood from frame one like i didn't even really want to see the movie because he just eastwood doesn't like just on a personal level interest me that much as as a filmmaker anymore but the, the fact that it was getting a lot of praise and i had an open saturday and i'm just like okay uh sure i'll go i'll go do a double feature and uh i i watched after this i watched a movie that almost made uh, your overrated list uh, hell or high water and if you're wondering why i like that movie so much it's because i watched it right after this movie <laughs> and it felt like such a breath of fresh air <laughs> well that's uh, as many you know i don't really have a lot of problems with that film and that main, mainly i was happy to get did it like i said at the beginning of the episode that i i kind of had a tough time coming up with like five overrated films and that was one one of those, but like that movie definitely has at least a screenplay and pacing, has something <laughs> to it. And it has story and characters, and arcs. Yeah, exactly. God, man, it's just just it's just too bad. It's it, it just this is just one of those. This is the ultimate. Like I just didn't see the same movie as a lot of people did, and and I was told that I I went. One of my friends got married in October, and I went down and. Uh, 
another friend's uh, dad was there who coached uh, softball with my dad, who's you know, been, been in my life quite a bit. And he's like, he's like, I was hoping you'd be here because I wanted to tell you that you're so wrong about Sully. And I loved this movie and <laughs> like all this stuff I was like, that's that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. you could like yeah, what you like. It just I did not see the same movie in yeah, this and, situation. Yeah, and, and people talk about, like, how, like, the even people who criticize it were just like, well, the plane crash was, you know, the highlight of the movie and it was great and it was blah, blah. And it, well, it wasn't, first of all. And second of all, it's like you take... Okay, Clint Eastwood is all about efficiency. He's not a showman. And then, But then you go to... You take a showman like Robert Zemeckis and you look at the first ten minutes of Flight, which worth made anything me, more in this movie <laughs> which worth- which left me like i was just like freaking the fuck out during the first 10 minutes of that movie and uh it's kind of like the same thing it's like the and i felt like uh i don't really remember but I, but maybe uh it was like the inspiration for the opening of flight was like a cr- combination of like something some event that happened in canada where the plane had to be flown like upside down and a combination of like what sully did as well uh, mm-hmm. so it was, it was just like, yeah, man, if they had given this to Robert Zemeckis, at least he would have pulled off, like, it, he would make you shit your pants just by the, uh, at least the, the, the plane crash would have had that quality. And yeah, Clint Eastwood, like, I don't know who thought that would be a good idea. Maybe after the success yeah. of American Sniper or something, but, um, yeah. It, yeah. It's just, it's, it's a, you know, it, there's not much of a story to this it's like it's it's a miracle it is a miracle that it happened but again that's not doesn't make it a movie uh not everything has to be a movie and if it's going to be it's just a huge mismatch of director material so, yeah 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 no. that's that's definitely the case well so, i think what do you think do you want to wrap it up and then um, I, move on to the positive stuff next week yeah, let's, let's let's do it uh so yeah that concludes our overrated episode and next week we'll as octave pointed out we'll get to the more positive stuff and uh talk about our underrated movies uh but for now you can find this podcast on the playlist.net uh you can listen to us on itunes or soundcloud um you can always you know find these posts on the playlist and leave us a comment or a rating and uh helps us know what we're doing right helps us know what you know you'd like to see from us in the future um but signing off i'm ryan oliver i'm a contributor here at theplaylist.net and signing off this is oktai ege kozak i'm a film critic and contributor at uh, the playlist uh, dvd talk oregon herald and bayasparta.com and you can also find us on uh, Twitter at OverUnderMovies and Facebook.com slash OverUnderMovies. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week for the underrateds. Bye.